Good morning, Paul. Come in, come into the office. Pull up a seat. Oh, um, Paul, are you feeling all right? Yes, I'm feeling fine. Oh, um, I just, there's something on... I'm trying to be really diplomatic about this, but Paul, you've got this kind of... You've got something on your neck. No, I don't have anything on my neck. Uh, it's, it's like a... It's, uh, it's like a, a greenish growth. It's coming out of it. Look, I'm not a medical doctor, but Paul, I'm a bit concerned. I think we need to get this looked at. He's seen us. Kill him. But, but, no, um, but what are you doing? Get up with that. Oh, we got time for... Paul, get off me. What? That, that. OCD, the DC Events Podcast, where we're looking at every single DC event from DC, which starts in, what, 1985 with Crisis on Infinite Earths, and we're travelling through time, uh, the forward way, until we get to uh, the future. And at the moment, we have come to 2012, and the little event called Rotworld. Rotworld, yes. And I'm doing it with my friends, my podcasting compatriots. Uh, I've got Ryan Daly here. Hi, Ryan. Please, call me compatriot. <laughs> and I also have Mike Garvey from Waiting for Doom, Mike Garvey. Hello, everyone. And The Gary Show. That's me. Yep. Yep. Um, so, we're looking at Rockworld, which is not at all poor taste or badly timed. <laughs> Otherwise known as Ripped from the Headlines in 2020. <laughs> Can I just say that, yeah, this this has been on, on a schedule that was worked out by Paul and, and, and I, in part, uh, a long time ago. So it's just, yeah, really bad luck in terms of timing. We didn't just decide, hey, let's move this one up in the schedule, gang. <laughs> well, briefly, it ran from December 2012 through to April 2013. So it was in the the second and third year of New 52, just about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, well, it was written mostly by Jeff Lemire and Scott Snyder. Matt Kint did a bit of stuff with Frankenstein. Um, there's lots of art by Steve Pugh, Marco Rudy, Yannick Paquette. Did I say that right? That sounds weird. Timothy Green the second, Alberto Ponticelli, Wayne Foucher, Daniel Green, Andy Owens, Joseph Silver, Andrew Bellinger, Patrick Brousseau, and Carl Cashel. And it was lettered by Jared K. Fletcher, Travis Lanham, Carlos Mungle, and Desi Cienti. And the colours were by Laverne Kavinsky. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> Val Staples, Nathan Fairbairn, Tony Avina, Lee Loffridge, John Calis, and Jose Villarubria. And it was edited by Joey Cavalieri and Matt Idelson. 
And um, if you want to know where this uh, event took place, well, there isn't really a main title, but it crossed over from Animal Man, and it ran through uh, 12 to 17, and it went from Swamp Thing, 12 to 17, and Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, 13 to 15. So, what's this one about, fellas? Essentially, Animal Man and Swamp Thing, uh, as the kind of representatives of these things called the red and the green, respectively, are pulled into uh, this thing called the Rot, which we will talk about uh, to try and fight off the, the avatar of the Rot, which is longtime Swamp Thing enemy Anton Arcane. While they are there, he basically explains to them that they have been accidentally trapped there for a year, and then when they are spit out back into the world, it is one year later, and in that time, Arcane has led the forces of the Rot, which are kind of zombie-esque, just monsters of death and decay, and they have taken over the entire world. And like 99% of civilization has crumbled. Most of the superhero community has been wiped out. And Animal Man and Swamp Thing basically have to go on separate adventures to meet other people and and kind of come back together at the end in this last-ditch fight to stop Arcane and the forces of the rot. That's, the, that's what the story is. Beautifully articulated, compatriot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, so quite a, it's an interesting story because it's sort of got parallel threads between Animal Man and Swamp Thing and they sort of have one matching adventure which goes to uh, Metropolis and one that goes to Gotham and um, mm. they start together and they end together um, and then they've got little, uh, what do you call, epilogues at the end where they, you know, their lives separate again and it's really rooted in the you know, everything that's been going on in these titles before this point. So Animal Man has been contending with the rot and uh, the three hunters or the hunters three, uh, mm-hmm. completely different. And try- they are trying to um, basically trap him and uh, capture his daughter. And at the same time, Swamp Thing, there's people with heads who are twisted backwards trying to kill him and chase him everywhere. And he's hooked up with Abby Arcane. And, uh, it, yeah, the continuity is a little bit strange. It's not really the continuity of Swamp Thing because this is... Uh, Alec Holland alive in the Swamp Thing body at the start of this, as it were, rather than a plant that thinks it's Alec Holland, uh, which was the Alan Moore status. So, mm. yes, yeah, there's some bit of, uh, what would you call it, retro continuity about Anton on Arcane always being linked to the Rot and being its champion, um, whereas, you know, he's just an evil bugger in Swamp Thing who just likes to be evil and ends up in hell and comes out of hell and evil, evil, evil. Yeah. So... <laughs> So what were the big deals? Mike, what was the biggest deal for you about this? Uh, the fact that it happened at all. I was picking these up, these, both these series up, purely out of curiosity when New 52 started because I'd never read um, any earlier versions of Swampy or Animal Man before in my life. And I was drawn in by all the hype and splendor and spectacular stuff that was being marketed for New 52. So I was trying everything pretty much and this stuff really stuck with me because it was it was horror comics uh and the art was different and great uh and so when they announced that this was happening i was like holy heck that's really cool so the fact that happened at all that was a big deal for me and the fact that uh, it's kind of an elseworlds tale (laughs) um in in a nice little crossover in that this really cool story happens but in the end everything's kind of back to normal sort of uh, there's some quite high prices that are paid by both heroes at the end of it but yeah there's not like 
uh, of course, the big final battle at the end as well. That was, I guess, the, one of the the standout points for me when the two heroes have gone on their separate little adventures and then they come back together uh, for the, the the final rot war battle. That was really cool. Another weird high point for me, uh, the covers of issues 17 and 12 of both books. You can put them side by side and make a really nice poster. Yeah. I'd completely forgotten that until I was reading them again this this week. Um, so that was cool. But, but yeah, the, the thing with this story is it's a really cool story, but it just kind of powers along uh, and stuff happens, but nothing really sort of leapt out and grabbed me other than, yeah, the fact it happened, those cool covers, and just that it's a, a nice, solid story. Mm. What about you, Ryan? Well, I think Mike liked this story more than I did, <laughs> and I think I think once we come to our scores eventually, that I, I think that'll bear out because I had more problems with I was, when I was reading this. Um, and part of it is things that you mentioned, how uh, even in your description, how they kind of go on parallel journeys. Mm-hmm. I felt that when I was reading an issue of Swamp Thing, and then I turned and read the next issue or consecutive issue of Animal Man, I was like, I just read this exact same plot with different characters. They they really are kind of strong where I felt like if you read the Red Kingdom story, which is the Animal Man half of the story, you didn't need to read the Green Kingdom story in order to see that they, they end up at the same place at the very end because you pretty much got the same thing just with a different art and, and characters doing kind of a lot of the same things. But there were some there there were some highs. I mean, it just actually Mike said it the thing like the fact that they made a crossover like going out as big as this thing was, I mean, as many issues as this takes, mm. um, was a serious thing for these characters, for Animal Man and Swamp Thing. It's kind of a, a big a big deal at this time. Uh, I, I mean, like, on a really small level, I never really cared about Changeling or Beast Boy, the Garth Logan character, but he, he's got a few moments in the story. He's one of the, the characters who's, who managed to survive because he's of his connection to the animal, the animal Kingdom. And I kind of liked some of the things that he was doing in the story, so that was cool. But, yeah, I, I mean, overall, I, I had some troubles with this because, for one thing, I think the way this was branded as an event was a little bit misleading uh, because the rot world and, and the books that have this rot world trade dress at the time really zero in on the issues where they're in this dystopian alternate future timeline uh, and they have to deal with that. But that's not really where the story begins in a sense, this is paying off threads that began with Swamp Thing issue one and mm. Animal Man issue one at the very beginning of the new 52. Mm-hmm. And where Rot World ends at the 17th issues of both of these series, that's not the end of the story either. <laughs> yeah. You have to read issues 18 to get the resolution for both of them and how they deal with Arcane and Abby Cable and what happens with Buddy and his family. Those aren't wrapped up in the Rot World story. That would be like if Endgame, if Avengers Endgame ended when the Hulk snapped his fingers. It's like, all right, well, presumably everybody's brought back, but then <laughs> then we just add on like this other hour-long movie that deals with the final battle, but that's not part of the Endgame. It's like, uh, I don't know. So part of that was, I mean, I I appreciate the ambition for doing an event like this, but at the same time, it felt like it was too big and it was too exhausting because I was reading, I read all of the first issues of the New 52 when it came out. I I was there, I me and my friend, we, we went in together and we pre-ordered every number one issue. Wow. Animal Man and Swamp Thing leapt out at me and I kept with those series and I hung with them. 
basically until issue 12, like the, the prologue to the Rot World story, once those began, because at that point I was like, I'm exhausted. These stories are never ending. Uh, so that, that, that was, that was when, that was when I bailed. So I came back and reread them for this one. So it's writing for the omnibus, is it? <laughs> I, I mean, I think that omnibus would be like 35 issues because it would have to collect the whole series of everything. Mm. Yeah, I, I did get that starting off with issue 12. If you were just reading Rot World and nothing else, you'd be walking in fairly blind. Because you're right, Rhino. It was like, oh, that's right. The Hunters 3 have been chasing Buddy and his family all along. That's right. Okay, yeah. There's no mention of where the cat comes from. Um, and its name isn't mentioned even until halfway through the, the storyline. I was like, oh, that's right. It socks the cat, the magic cat. Okay, there we <laughs> go. Um, and yeah, the, it starts really strong. But the ending is, yeah, you're right. It's like, hey, wait for the next issue that isn't branded with Rotwell to find out how they actually saved the day. And, and stop Arcane in the end. It's like, oh, man, come on. <laughs> so, hmm. Mm. But I still enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Things that stood out to me were, I thought Steel, um, John Henry Irons had a really good um, role in this story. So uh, he ho- hooks up with, now I'm getting confused, he hooks up with the Animal Man, is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think Animal Man has Beast Boy, Steel, and Black Orchid. Yeah. Yes. And Constantine. Yeah. Until he gets killed. Um, and, yeah, for a while there, John Henry Irons has basically downloaded his brain into a robot suit. So he is, um, you know, he's a bit like a robot man. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but he has a really good arc and he's, you know, very effective in these fights. And uh, at one stage he sort of strips all the flesh parts out of Cyborg and takes control of his body. I thought that was a really cool moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I kind of hated that Batman had a contingency, even though he was dead and he he was like the savior of everything because he'd worked out how to solve it all, and they just went to Gotham and worked out his plan and then followed it. You'd never expect that part was written by Scott Snyder, who was also writing <laughs> Batman at the same time. No. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, as a story, it, it's um sort of a just a, a nasty road trip through um horror landscape. But it, this was the point. Like, I did actually reread the beginning of both these. Um, uh, runs to get up to speed with this uh, on this occasion, and um, I think Herman in the the last step on New Fifty Two said it changed from being horror to event horror suddenly at this point. Like before yeah. that, it was just you know nasty, nasty um, horror stuff, and then suddenly it became full scale end of the world sort of like a Resident Evil movie um, at this point. Um, yeah, but Anton Arcane is such a prick. <laughs> Yes, yes, he is. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing I read for this, I read the Frankenstein tie-ins, and um, did either of you bother with those? That was one thing I wasn't reading from the New 52, so no. I read the first issue, but then I, I never stuck with it, but I read those tie-ins for this one. I was actually surprised. I really enjoyed those. Now, again, the first issue of that tie-in, I was like, this feels exactly like the first issue of, of the Swamp Thing and Animal Man parts of this book. <laughs> it's the same thing. He's waking up or he's he's coming out of his little like weird alternate year, world an, a year later and everything's gone to hell. Um, but I like that story. I found myself actually caring more about him and his quest. Yeah. Yeah, well, the plot of that one is uh, basically Frankenstein gets the soul grinder, which was used to make him by um, the scientist, Frankenstein. Um, and the Frankenstein scientist is actually pursuing him and trying to um, kill him. So he's like another side avatar of the rot who's um, big on mushrooms. And, yeah, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, 
the Lord of the Rings where Aragorn gone, goes away and then comes back with an army of the dead because that's basically what happens. <laughs> Frankenstein <laughs> revives yeah. all these people as um, Frankensteins and then they all charge in to help with uh, the Swamp Thing story at one point. Mm. Swamp Thing? Animal Man? I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, I think the first time I read these, I was actually getting these in trades, and they didn't come out at the same time, so I think I read, like, the Swamp Thing one, and then a few months later read the Animal Man one, and it really... I didn't notice that they were just parallel stories because I read them so far apart. (laughs) But when you read them, like, this time reading, flipping between... literally flipping between two trades, it was... Yeah, this is... This story has reached this beat, this one's reached that beat, and... Yeah... Uh, I don't know if either of you read Injustice or Deceased or any of those books by Tom Taylor. No. I read the first couple of years of Injustice, I think like the first three seasons. Yeah. Tom Taylor is doing exactly the same thing with uh, with that, but he does it much better because I think he really loves the characters and really gets them, whereas I feel like uh, it's a bit of an intellectual exercise for Snyder and Lemire as far as they bring in these characters, but they don't love them and they don't give them fantastic moments and they don't go, what's awesome about Green Arrow and use that sort of thing? Um, whereas Tom Taylor, like, Deceased, the, I mean, the joy of Deceased, it's got fantastic character work in the midst of this horrific, you know, world-changing event. Um, and so the character moments are the things that make it fantastic to read, not not the the epic scope of horror that's going on, if you know what I mean. Hmm. See, I would almost say that this felt like a crossover that was more editorially driven than it was by the creators, because it doesn't seem like the, the type of story that necessarily Lemire and Scott Snyder were driving towards with their own books, but at the same time, they were things. They were both dealing with aspects of the rot from the very beginning of their series. So maybe mm. this was something that they had in mind. But yeah, I, I don't know. I feel the real surprise is that editorial didn't jump on it and make it bigger. Yeah, yeah. It. Um, I, I was going to class this event as just an occupier, but I'm wondering if it is a vanity project um, to, that lets the creator tell the story they want to. But. Um, yeah, I part of me would have liked to have seen this go out further than just these few books that it was contained within. Um, but, you know, having the Justice League turn into um, horrendous death monsters would kind of make it hard for that book to sell for Justice League fans uh, in those months, I would guess. Mm. So, Yeah, it would be um, depressing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, haven't they been doing that with some of the characters? Like, I feel like the in the metal... <laughs> miniseries and like everything since then and the the supergirl who laughs i i feel like oh. they've been turning these characters into monster oh. zombies for the last couple of months i don't i don't know i haven't read a dc comic in like a year and a half so oh yeah. well uh, i think the vibe is no one really likes it <laughs> but i mean that's me looking from the outside because i'm not really reading that stuff i mean ugh. anyway we will get there one day so are there any moments that you loved that um, you thought well that was cool probably the epilogue so issue 18 of Swamp Thing, where they actually wrap up what happens with with Swampy and, and Abby, that was kind of heart-wrenching there. The fact that in order to defeat Anton Arcane, they had to sacrifice Abby uh, and make her the new avatar of the Rot. Sorry, spoiler warning. So, and Abby and, and Swampy are there sort of saying, well, you know, we've saved the world, but we can never be together. And their human bodies are brought to the Grove of the Dead and are sort of interred there uh, in a nice bunch of flowers. Um, and that was really sad. 
but I really enjoyed reading that because it was such an emotional moment. Uh, but again, I'm annoyed that, that it all got wrapped up in the dumb epilogues that weren't branded part of it. Oh, God, so annoying. <laughs> Actually, some of my favorite scenes, I realized, and this is probably pretty telling, weren't in the rot world necessarily it was the flashbacks to what was going on with buddy's family after he disappeared and them being hunted down and everything like that and and with uh, his daughter and the and socks the cat, the cat and everything and yeah. running and when she finds the little little arcane junior i can't remember william arcane william, william arcane what a horrid child <laughs> What a bastard! But yeah. but those scenes, like when she sees her family turning, like when her when her brother Cliff like t- attacks her mom and everything like that, and those moments, I was like, this is more of the horror that is actually kind of it's it's a little bit even scarier than than what you get. And and this was actually part of my overall sense, like when I was re- like, I thought between the two of them, looking at that, not just within the rot world, but the series as a whole, like up to this point, like the first eighteen issues of Animal Man and and Swamping. I thought Jeff Lemire took a superhero character in Animal Man and put him in a horror story. And I felt Scott Snyder took Swamp Thing, who had been this, you know, kind of dark fantasy horror character up to that point, and put him in more of a superhero story. Um, and part of that was just where where Swamp Thing was by the end of that, because as you mentioned, at the time of the New 52, there's a very different status quo for Swamp Thing. It's actually, I think it's spun out of the end of the Brightest Day event, um, when Alec Holland is resurrected, and he is more of Alec Holland kind of in the Swamp Thing body, a bit more like Robot Man or Ben Grimm or something like Mm. that. Um, He's more of like a man inside the monster, and he has a different relation. And this version of Abby Cable is more like Sarah Connor from the the Terminator. (laughs) so by the time we do get to the end of that, Mike, as you were saying, like when, when they're finally playing off, and I think it's, I mean, it's not like in issue 18, this is Scott Snyder writing himself because he leaves the book after that point. Um, but he, he brought it to a close where by the end of that, Swamp Thing is back to possibly more of his old status quo where Alec has, ki- has been killed and Abby is no longer in his life. So I think yeah. he was leaving it, the possibility that you could have Swamp Thing continue on to where people like Alan Moore and the guys who came after him were kind of writing the character before the new 52. Mm. Yeah, good point. And um, Charles Soule took over Swamp Thing straight after this, and uh, yeah, I actually really like his run. I thought it was actually mm. better than the Scott Snyder run. I heard good things. I only read the one, the Villains Month issue. with It was the Arcane special issue, like the Arcane Origin issue, which, which I did like, yeah. I thought Arcane died. That's weird. <laughs> Sorry. You're new to comics, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. So, as far as launching, this book didn't really launch anything. Like, it, it really is just a story in the run of these two titles. Um, mm-hmm. And as such, it just does the things that a story needs to do. Like, it has a conclusion. It's in the wrong issue, but it's there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the. You know the the ongoing plot for Animal Man after this, which Jeff Lemire did continue to write, was the fact that Cliff, his son, is dead, and so he sort of destroys the uh, Buddy Baker family unit at that point, which is uh, something I wasn't a particular fan of. Uh, but yeah, nothing really came from this as such, and the New Fifty Two is a sort of blip in DC history at the moment, as is uh, Rebirth and whatever's going on now. So yeah, it, it's kind of weird. Is there anything that you guys thought came out of this that? 
stuck stuck around. Jeff Lemire and Scott Snyder like were the hot hands. They had the hot hands uh, of DC like at this point. <laughs> like they everybody knew who Jeff Johns was, but once the, the new Fifty Two launched, these two guys really became hot and they were catching fire and. And I mean, like uh, some people knew Scott Snyder because he was working on Detective Comics, um, but then once he got on Batman, he just blew up. And and Jeff Lemire, I think, was a little bit more of a slow burn. But after this, you know, because of the strength of this, he eventually took over Justice League Dark with issue six. And then after like the villains United or whatever it was, he took over Justice League United. So he started getting more high profile big books and stuff like that. And anyway, right, and and Jeff Lemire sort of continued that journey because he wrote Animal Man until it was cancelled and then he took the character to his next Justice League book mm. um, so if anything I think I mean it, it was more of these the series and these books had more to do with the popularity of the creators but I don't know if I mean I, I mean I don't think the books went anywhere from there I, mean, I, I think Frankenstein was probably cancelled not long after this wasn't it I, so one more issue after Rock World I had one more issue after yeah oh. so yeah. Anyway, we might play a promo and then come back with some score and score or scoring. It's midnight, the podcasting hour. From fetid swamps to creepy castles, the podcasting hour is your home for horror on the Fire and Water Network. Join me, PJ Frightful, on this quarterly anthology podcast that gazes into the mysterious and terrifying shadows of DC Comics. The moon is full and the bell tolls for midnight, the podcasting hour. And now it's part of the show where we score this one. So we have a uh, we have a very hard complex rubric. I'm using the, I don't even know what that means. And I'm saying it um, <laughs> where we come up with a score that between us equals a um, hundred. And I am going to be the semi or the semi OCD today, and that means my score is lessened and halved. Um, and so Mike and Ryan they'll both give a score that is a possibility of a maximum of. 40 points, and then mine will be a possible maximum of 20 points, and we add them together and get something out of 100. It's very complex, but uh, yeah, it came to me in a dream one night, and it seems to have stuck. <laughs> so. I said it was a condition of my appearance on the show. I said, don't you dare have my score. <laughs> uh, so, the first thing that we score this on is eventiness. So, Mike, what do you think of the eventiness of this? I'm giving the eventiness a seven because it's a really cool event, but it's very self-contained. Uh, it's it's you know just within Swamp Thing and Animal Man and and the Frankenstein book, uh, but it doesn't go anywhere else. I, I would have liked to have seen it elsewhere, uh, but I, I think so. It's not a massive event. It's a cool little crossover that just happened. Uh, so I I felt like it was a seven. And uh, Ryan, on your side? Yeah, I gave it a five. And on the one hand, I felt like I could have gone higher than that because this was a crossover that featured at least three different books. There was Swamp Thing, Animal Man, a few issues of Frankenstein. Also, the Animal Man – or no, sorry, the Swamp Thing Annual was involved. So mm -hmm. there was a lot of – a lot of books had the Rot World title on it. And the stakes within the story were really big. I mean, this was like the world had been destroyed. You had yeah. Wonder Woman and Superman taken over by the rot. 99% of the people or whatever are killed or possessed. That's a big, big story within the scope of the story itself. Mm -hmm. But 
it still felt like the branding for this event was too small because it only focused on the issues where Swamp Thing and Animal Wayne were trapped in this this timeline. And and again, like because it didn't even focus on the end of the story where you get the resolution to what's going on with Abby and Anton Arcane and what's going on with Buddy and his family. Like it it at the end of the day, this felt like just the third story arc in each of their particular stories which is how it was collected in the trade like as you pointed out like there wasn't like a big i, I don't think there was a, a rot world omnibus or a rot world the complete collection trade it was just swamp thing the new 52 volume three rot world the green kingdom mm. and yeah. animal man volume three the you know rot world the, the red kingdom or something like that like it wasn't even collected together so in that i just felt like and eh, they're kind of they're not treating it like it's a big event. It's just a crossover and if that's the way they're collecting it, it didn't need to cross over. So I, I don't know. I, I I could only I yeah, I that's why I went with a five. I could only go like half of the total score. Between the two trades there are three common issues in both of them, but yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I think it's a five. I mean, if it had sort of busted out and done a bit more in the DC universe, I would have uh, scored it higher. Um, it is a big deal for these books in particular. Um, yeah. So it it I mean it does have the event feel, and I think uh, in a different circumstance where um, they weren't trying to restrict events at this point for the new 52. I mean, they're really saving up the event to be a really big deal. So in this case, they just made it um, a three-book crossover, as it were. But I think in different circumstances, this would have been a line-wide depressing show. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about the writing. So, Ryan, where do you think the writing is for you? So this one will probably be... <laughs> I, I'll, I'll get some flack for this one. I almost gave this one a four, and it hurt to give it a score that low because again i think scott snyder and jeff lemire are really really strong writers Mm. and in part the reason i'm giving them a low score is not because of the way they wrote the the story or the series as a whole it's because of what is confined to this crossover slash event rot world and the way it's present and maybe some of this was the way the book was edited and it was presented and and that might just come down unfairly but this event does not begin when the crossover begins or the trade dress starts. This begins with issue one. So uh, I, because of that, both Anna, well, both Animal Man, Swamp Thing, and Frankenstein, I said, follow the same formula. If you read one, you're getting the same plot and emotional beats as the other series, just with different characters. So reading it together, that feels like they're just copying the same script and copy and paste and and insert different characters in different situations. It felt like they were just passing out, like handing like a shared Google Drive format, and they weren't really writing it organically. Because they wake up one year later, the world has gone to hell. They meet a group of survivors who take like everything, like the, the things that we've gone over, like up to the big battle, defeat the enemy, and then they each have to suffer a loss or the death mm. of a loved one in some way. Even like the, even the epilogues, the conclusions, follow the same type of thing. But the the reason again is such a low grade. Basic things are left out of the storytelling if you're just reading this event. Things are not explained, like what the rot is or where it comes from, what the green is, what the red is, the connections all of these things things have. These are not explained, I felt, within this story. You needed to be reading previous issues of Animal Man and Swamp Thing to find out what the enemy is, what is going on, what is the rot, what like 
what is its agenda? What does it want? Because by the end of it, like by like when they're in this weird thing, and you get like the the old ghost like avatars of the rot. They're like, well, no, we're like the rot used to be benevolent. You know, it, we we lived in harmony with the red and green. We were all part of the natural cycle, and it was arcane who who kind of twisted this. And I was like, why are we getting this at the very very end? Like this is a weird thing. To like uh, so, I just I, I was really really frustrated in the fact that it felt like they were just recycling each other's scripts, writing the same thing, and basic elements of the character and of the premise, I felt like they weren't writing this as if they, they weren't making this new reader-friendly. Mm. They were ma- they were including things that you needed to have been reading the previous 12 issues in order to jump into this one. So, yeah, it, it was just, I, I like both of these writers, and I think the individual scripts are terrible, but for this event specifically, I just felt like the storytelling had a whole lot of flaws, and it went on too long, and yeah. So, yeah, sorry. Wow. No, no, no need to apologize. Those are all valid points. And in fact, I'm going to amend my score slightly. Uh, I'm going to give it a seven for the writing, purely because you've convinced me, right, about the fact that it is not new reader friendly. Uh, and, and I was thinking about a quote I saw, I think it was from Paul Kupperberg um, online recently, who was saying that one of his editors told him that, you know, every issue is someone's first issue of a book. Uh, and you're completely right. There's, there's no... There's no real recap of any of it, and it's the stuff unless you have been reading these series um, from the start or before this event, um, you'll have no ideas to how the rot, how, how, yeah, what the rot is, how the red or the green work, uh, and you just sort of like, like I said, you know, I really felt that the first issue of of um, it's Animal Man issue twelve, you're just thrown in to the fact that, okay, these people are running from monsters or something and they have a talking cat. What's going on? But because I've been reading it from the start, I know all that stuff. So I'll, I'll give writing a seven because I, I did enjoy the story. Um, I did enjoy the, the parallel quests and then the coming together at the end for the big victory, even though it all happened in the epilogue. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I did enjoy the, the, the writing in this. So yeah, I'll give it a seven. But you, you, you convinced me there, Ryan. Well done. I, I wish I'd convinced you that the story was better. <laughs> <laughs> you two copying each other's homework. Right, with the writing, I, I'm... Well, I think I'm with Mike now. I'm giving it a seven. Uh, I think it's well written. There are a little, uh, you know, the things that are presumptuous that you are reading these already, which um, I did for this occasion. So, uh, yay me. So it didn't bug me as much. But, yeah, I was like... When I was thinking about it, I was going, oh, what's the name of that cat? And, yeah, it is until the very end of the story that the cat's name is said in the story. And it was kind of like, that's weird. Um, Socks the cat. And whereas I knew it was in the uh, Animal Man trade too that Socks was introduced. And I was like, oh, okay. But I I feel like this story doesn't um, nail the landing at all. Like, it's basically uh, everything's gone to hell. Uh, All these heroes are dead. You know, like, people are... You know, Constantine gets his guts ripped out. Um, at one point, the Flash is a monster, and they smash his head in with a rock, um, and then he just forms back again. And you think, okay, well, obviously, this cannot be the status quo of the DC universe going forward. Um, you know that all these heroes are monsters, so you know it's all going to get undone. So that lowers the stakes uh, for you, I think. Whereas, I mean, if it had been an Elseworlds, it would have been able to stick with this as you know, this is the status quo of the world, and 
suddenly it's like a, a body horror version of um, Warlord or something. But yeah, I felt the stakes were lowered by the fact that you knew this couldn't stick around. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a seven. But also, let me ask you, like, how exactly do they undo the rot world and change everything? Um, they jump into the portal that they go back through time, um, which is opened by the uh, the rot avatar. Um, Parliament of Decay. Parliament of Decay. Yeah. Did they know that they could do that? Because that wasn't part of the mission. They were both leading these forces towards Arcane to save Abby and to save Cliff's daughter. Like they, they. I don't remember them ever saying their quest was to undo this. They just wanted to stop Arcane, like stop the rot, and save their loved ones. Like I think that was almost kind of accidental. Yeah. Now they got a reset at the end. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that was basically the writers just getting to the point where like, oh shoot, how do we do this? How do we how do we have them time travel? Yeah. Like, I, I, yeah. Curse you and your analysis, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Art, 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 art. Um, I like the art. It's good. I'm giving it an eight. <laughs> and the covers are really good. <laughs> um, it gets a little bit cartoony towards the final battle, where it's a bit like um, one of the big battles in Lord of the Rings. Uh, it does get a little bit cartoony at that point. But, yeah, for most of it, it's really quite solid. There's some really good inputs by the artists. Um, particularly like uh, Steve Pugh's work and Marco Rudy. Uh, uh, what about you, Mike? Uh, yeah, I'm giving the art and colours an eight as well. I really enjoy uh, being able to make a little poster out of uh, issues 17 and 12 of both runs. Uh, I have to admit, I was really disappointed with the art in Swamp Thing 17 because it was it was okay, but I really enjoyed uh, Paquette's art uh, in Swamp Thing. It's It's kind of like... With Steve Pugh's stuff in Animal Man, it's kind of like this dark, scratchy, body horror stuff. And then Paquette's stuff in Swamp Thing is kind of like just this gorgeous, beautiful, you know, plant-based artwork everywhere. And then for the big finale, it's kind of like, oh, uh, uh, okay. He comes back in the epilogue, so yay for having to wait around for another issue that isn't branded. But yeah, it was kind of like, oh, oh, okay, that's a bit of a, a letdown. But overall, um, yeah, I'm, I'm giving art and covers an eight because it's, yeah, it's it's good stuff. Mm. Ryan, bring us down. <laughs> well, it wasn't Gene Colan art, so I can only give it like a three. <laughs> no, I, I gave it a seven, and actually, my notes were pretty much exactly what Mike said. Um, I thought it was good it was solid it was consistent and then there's this damn fill-in penciler that comes yes. in on the climactic issue of swamp thing like the f- big battle where you know like everything is thrown together and yeah it's what you described it's it's a more cartoonish looking and, yes. and more amateurish it's like this is the battle where everything is coming to head and you know it's not the it's not the emotional you know catharsis that we're getting into epilogues but it's like this is where you want to you know bring all of your guns out and it, you got like a fill-in artist who's having like these big splash pages so yeah that was that, I, I think that was really unfortunate and i imagine it was just the timing that paquette couldn't do the whole thing he needed a break he needed a fill-in and and they felt that it was more important to give him the finale to scott snyder's run and, and to wrap okay. up the the story with Abby and, and, and Alec Holland. And he probably wanted to draw that one more because of yeah. like, the, the final version of what Abby looks like after that. Mm. Oh yeah. Um, that That's a 18 is a great issue. 17 is like, Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but 18 is not part of rot world. According to the, oh, oh. it's, it doesn't count. So frustrating. 
All right, now time for the impact and legacy. So, um, Mike. I'm giving this a two, which is basically one point each for um, just the series Swamp Thing and Animal Man, uh, because I wish I could give it more, because in terms of those books, it was a great story and a great crossover to happen, but it just kind of happens and it just progresses the character story along. Um, there's a little bit of, you know, impact in that we have two main deaths um, occurring at the end of this storyline, but still it's like the, the legacy is that, you know, it just happens and then, hey, what do you know? At some point in the future, the New 52 gets all wrapped up anyway. No other books in New 52 even mention this at all, so it doesn't have that much of an impact or legacy at all, so I figured two. Which I feel really bad about giving because I do enjoy this story. So, but there we are. And Ryan? And I didn't like the story, but I gave the impact a four, a little bit more generous. <laughs> than my, um, and I think, I mean, the, the things that we talked about for the Swamp Thing part of it, uh, this was how Scott Snyder left the book after 18, and, and in doing so, he brought basically a close to the Alec Holland version of Swamp Thing that was brought back with Brightest Day and the beginning of the New 52. And he writes them out so that this Swamp Thing is potentially a blank slate for Charles Soule to do whatever he wants with. Um, but the Abbey and presumably the whole Arcanes, they're out of the picture. So Swamp Thing can really go in any direction. And he is more of the plant. He doesn't have the same human connection that he used to. Uh, so looking at that, I thought there was, there's, you know, more open for opportunities. Um, and then with Animal Man, obviously Jeff Lemire stuck with the book, but the, the Baker family unit is been shattered um, by the, the murder of his son Cliff, what that is going to do to his marriage and his relationship with his daughter. Uh, all of that is going to change and shake up. Um, and this really, I, I think, I mean, you know, Scott Snyder, he had the Batman book, so I, I kind of think at this point Swamp Thing was almost a distant afterthought for him. Um, but I was really kind of more impressed by Jeff Lemire uh, when when reading the Animal Man book, and I really liked his work, and I followed him on other things. Um, so just like as a personal touch, this introduced me to you – know, well, the Animal Man series kind of introduced me to Jeff Lemire, and I've read more of his stuff. Um, he had an indie book that he published as like a series of graphic novels called Essex County that I absolutely love that he, he wrote and illustrated himself. If you ever if you ever get like the, the collection like the omnibus version, it's like three big stories, but they're almost like more like graphic novels in the sense of like graphic literature, the way you think of like just dealing with families and history and broken hearts and dreams. Not superhero related, although one of the kids is sort of autobiographical in that he reads comic books and pretends he is a superhero when he's playing in the fields. Um, but yeah, just really, really strong stuff. So this made me a Jeff Lemire fan. Uh, and that's probably <laughs> maybe the biggest legacy for this one. Um, all right. For my part, I, I've been rethinking my uh, attachment to these, this story. And I, I think what it does is it makes you want to read more Swamp Thing and Animal Man. And if you go backwards with both those characters, you get some really good runs. So the, uh, the Grant Morrison Animal Man run is... Um, call it seminal even though i don't know what that means and uh, i think it's really good and uh, of course swamp thing uh, there's so many good runs on swamp thing throughout the years you know someone should do some podcasts about swamp thing occasionally ryan it's <laughs> a work on that yeah but yeah so yeah i'm going to give it a three i think the impact is it reminds you of really good stuff that you can go and hunt down um and, and in the 
in the array of all the Swamp Thing series, you know, it's it's a pretty solid entry. I mean, it's not the best, and it's not my absolute favourite, but it, it's worth your time, I think. So, mm. yeah. All right, so let's add all these scores up. So, uh, Ryan, uh, if I get all these scores, uh, 20, uh, you get 20. So you gave it 20 out of potential 40. So you think it's half good. And Mike, <laughs> you gave it, looks like, 24. 24 yes. out of 40. And yeah. I gave it uh, 23 out of 40. And then I halved myself and then I round myself up, which sounds weird, but I, I do that. And then I get 12, and if we add all those together, we get 20, 24, and 12. That equals 56 by the power of maths. And mm. 56, that puts it, if we want to compare it to other events, that means it is between Young Justice, Sins of Youth, and just above zero hour. So, officially better than zero oh. hour. Woo! <laughs> Take that, Ciscoid. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Now, we do have some feedback. If you would um, just take a seat over there, I will run through the Mm -hmm. feedback. Whee! Sorry. (laughs) So we got an email from Moby1 on our New 52 episode, which was uh, DCOCD39, the previous one in the feed. And he said, ooh, tough one to score given the scope. Paul's point about for the how for the first time he got a sense of what DC fans went through with Crisis on Infinite Earths resonated. That was me. Smiley face. With a wink. No, no, it's not a wink. Um, his tongue's out. Uh, as does the collective point about New 52 being editorially driven. Personally, I loved Azarello Chiang's Wonder Woman. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it floated my boat. And Snyder Capullo Bats. Still wondering what the F Pandora was about. Another smiley face with a tongue out. <laughs> Thanks for analysing both the foibles and the highlights and getting close to the end now. Oh, not close enough, are we? And we also heard from Ange. Dr. Ange wrote to us and said, I just listened to the new 52 show and was glad to hear your guys' thoughts. It is easy to forget that the higher points and better series when you th- remember the blighted forest and not the few flourishing trees. For me, thinking back, there was experimentation with war books, horror books, and anthologies back on the racks, and I absolutely loved, loved Morrison's action comics. But as you say, the idea that Batman and Green Lantern went on without a re- reboot and everything else was recast made it murky. The fact that some series were cancelled within a year, others had their creative teams changed within a year, and still others were so overtly controlled their creators quit showed poor thought on editorial. Obviously, Supergirl suffered. Uh, She was made to be an angry young girl. She hated Superman. She wanted to be left alone. She couldn't communicate for the greater part of the first year. It was a misread of her character, something DC has done with her forever. (laughs) <laughs> no better example would be Sterling Gates, Hawk and Dove. As Paul said, Gates was going to build off of the continuity in a new way. His first plot hinted at a whole swath of bird-based avatars. Within six months, he was booted so Rob Liefeld could have concrete, complete control. Why would DC give Gates the job if he wasn't allowed to tell the story he pitched? It was poor planning all around. It's better than Genesis. High praise. <laughs> uh, poor Ange, Supergirl fans have a long-suffering life, don't they? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we also got one from Martin Gray, and he said, fun episode, but I'm with, I think it was Grant, that this wasn't a proper event like the others in the series. It was a publishing initiative. Great chat, though. 
many of the book, best books of the New 52 were mentioned. Did anyone else read the showcase like National Comics with its interesting takes on Luca, Kid Eternity, Madame Xanadu, and Rose and Thorn? Uh, no. No, I didn't read no. any of them. <laughs> they were really late in the piece, I think, and they were digital first, if I remember correctly. Anyway, um, I'm one of those with a certain idea of who Wonder Woman is, i.e. a lifelong fan. The Azarello Chang book was well-crafted, and they knew what it wanted to do, but Wonder Woman? Nope. It was twisted Ellsworth stuff. That first issue with a horse getting slaughtered set the repulsive stone that didn't even seem to exist in the same universe as every other Wonder Woman appearance. The Superman Wonder Woman book was worse, though. Just a sad superhero sex fantasy. Uh, that DC Universe tryout book had some decent stuff. Challenges of the Unknown, a Blue Devil Black Lightning team-up, and a James Robinson... Bernard Chang Savage three-parter featuring a daughter of Vandal Savage who wasn't Scandal. And yes, that Dead Man story. The Return of Resurrection Man was great. The final issue of Stormwatch by Sterling Gates and Jeremy Roberts was stunning. And the Savage Hawkman... Oh, hang on. That was utter pants. (laughs) (laughs) All I heard was sad superhero sex fantasy and then just like saxophone music for a few minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And we got one from... Jimmy McGlinchey. We got a lot of feedback on the New 52, didn't we? Hmm. Uh, he said, another excellent episode. The New 52 as a marketing tool succeeded in a way. It did bring a lot of hype to DC Comics. Looking back, though, when I think of the very good titles arising from the New 52, it can be argued that those titles would have succeeded without being in the New 52 universe. Snyder Capullo Batman, John, John's Rice... Aquaman, Snyder and Lemire and Swamp Thing and Animal Man. All those stories could have been told in a continuation of the of the old pre-New 52 DCU. One has to admire... I agree with him, actually. I think that's true. One has to admire the efforts made to stretch out beyond modern superheroes in the New 52. Didio Giffen's OMAC was a pleasant surprise and Melville's Dial H was a very complex and moving tale. I love that. Uh, bringing back genres like the Western and All-Star and war comics with Men at War was very brave, although having everything linked together probably proved its downfall. In addition, when things were not working, they did try to fix it, like Firestorm improved dramatically when Jurgens was brought on the book, and I love Charles Soule's version of the Red Lanterns when Guy Gardner was in charge. However, the failure of the New 52 was to present it in an, as being in the fifth year of a continuity that was not earned. We were meant to care about these characters who have been changed, but we do not know how they came to be. Action Comics and Justice League were the only comics initially that started from zero year, but even that did not cover all the questions that were raised. Did certain events happen in this universe, like the death of Superman or Crisis? Sometimes they give you hints of what happened. I remember one Justice League where they hinted that Martian Manhunter was a member of the team in the early years, but was thrown out. A throwaway two-page spread that hinted at a spectacular story that was never referred to again. Also, incorporating the Wildstorm characters made it very complicated, as could be seen by the efforts to bring in a Team 7 into the mix. For all the good stories they had, there were some bad ones that weighed it down, like the bulk of the Superman and Young Justice titles, plus any title that Liefeld was involved in. I love the discussion that Herman, Grant and Paul generated, and I look forward to the next episode with interest. Uh, we have from Tim Price, who always gives us feedback. He is awesome. And he said, I only bought two series when New 52 began, OMAC, which I was following for all of its eight issues, and JLI, which I dropped after four issues. It's not sounding like a bad call. <laughs> Love the discussion. Just an excellent podcast, guys. And that's it for all our feedback. So thank you for all those people who sent us feedback. Yeah, so if you want to send us feedback, you can send it to dcocdcast at gmail.com or you can leave it on our website, waitingfordoom.com. 
facebook.com where we also have the ladder so you can see all the events in order and that sort of thing and we're on twitter at dcocdcast so um mike where can people find you if they want to hear more of you or see more of you or i well uh, i'm on twitter at avant-garde uh, i'm also obviously part of DCOCD and on waitingfordoom.com and Waiting for Doom, the podcast and the Gary show, which people seem to really enjoy, which just puzzles the heck out of me. Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Ryan? Where can people find you and hear more of your good stuff? Well, first of all, expect a lot of feedback from me on this episode because I have some thoughts on this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 good, good. <laughs> I saved my good stuff for print, not not for my this conversation. <laughs> wow. Uh, you can find me as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Go to fireandwaterpodcast.com. I'm host of several shows there, including Cheerscast, which looks at my favorite TV show, Cheers, one episode at a time. Fire and Water Records, which is just a general music anthology show. Batman Nightcast, where my co-partner and I, Chris Franklin, are looking at Batman comics that in, for, we're, we've changed the format, so now we're reading Batman comics we actually like. Go figure. It's a novel concept. <laughs> um, and uh, topical to this episode, uh, my other show, Midnight the Podcasting Hour, which looks at various horror-themed DC comics throughout the ages. Uh, it's been a, on a bit of a hiatus, but it should be coming back uh, probably in the late summer or early fall to, you know, in, in, prepare, in preparation for the Halloween season. Um, probably have some other shows on there, maybe a Star Wars one that nobody listens to. But, uh, yeah, you can also find me on Twitter and Facebook, Ryan Daly. Just look for that. I'm the jackass. Bring back the beard. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah, I well. shaved it just in time for it to be acceptable when everybody's working from home, so nobody would have noticed. <laughs> But next time when we come back, I think it's time for a Waiting for Doom or maybe a Gary show. Who knows? Whatever the mood takes us. But uh, when we do DCOCD next, we'll be looking at uh, the Trinity War from 2013. So, uh, thank you, gentlemen. It's um, been an absolute pleasure in these um, troubling times. And uh, I really mm. appreciate your inputs. Thank you very much. We all need some escapism. So this, yeah. <laughs> this kind of zombie fiction is definitely... Mm. <laughs> Anyway, that's all we've got time for. We'll see you all next time on DCOCD. Yeah.